the hard shoulder. With Nissan. Number one for petrol in Ireland. Number one for electric. Nissan. Innovation that excites. This is News Talk. All right, welcome back to The Hard Shoulder with Richard Chambers in for Ivan this week. Now, every Friday on the show at this time, we take a look back on the stories that really got us talking over the past seven days. So joining me for this edition of The Final Furlong in studio studio this evening are Richie Oakley, Alison Cummins and Bill Hughes here. All very welcome to the programme, especially on this uh, bank holiday weekend. Any plans for the couple of days off ahead, Alison? Well, uh didn't realise that it was a bank holiday Monday yeah. when I booked my flights last year to go away on holiday. So I am heading to the airport on Monday to fly away for a couple of weeks' holidays. Great stuff. Yeah. Nice. Richie, what are you up to? I will be working, looking, yeah. out, <laughs> looking out at everyone this else is our one. Through, through the window. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's my Shaking my your fist outside. I have, I have Saturday and Sunday. I'm in Monday. Yeah, not too bad. Great too stuff. Bad. I'll, I'll be moving my fold-out bed into the Lighthouse Cinema for the whole weekend for the Gays LGBT oh, Film fantastic. Festival. It's brilliant. Excellent stuff. Well, best of luck with that anyway. But this first story we're tackling today is the ongoing strife at Ryanair. 100 pilots taking industrial action today, meaning Irish passengers now facing a fifth day of strike. So 20 flights in total have been cancelled, meaning 3,500 passengers will have to rearrange their travel plans. And on top of this as well, it was it was announced yesterday that Irish Ryanair pilots will also strike on the 10th of August, which is the same day as pilots in Belgium and Sweden. So this is the fifth one-day strike by these pilots since the 12th of July. So we're asking here on the hard shoulder, would you still fly with Ryanair? Did you have any travel plans this summer? And do you think that this is going to affect Ryanair at all? I'll start with you, Alison, as somebody who is jetting off on Monday. What is your take on this? I mean, reputationally for Ryanair, they have a bit of a reputation going back over the years for being very sort of anti-union and being a bit tough. But they tried to rebrand, didn't they? I mean, that's has that been successful, has it? I'm not sure if that's been successful. Um, thankfully, I'm not flying Ryanair on Monday. Lucky, Although yeah. I'm not saying that I wouldn't <laughs> ever, just ever in case. But uh, look, you know, my mother used to say, Richard, Buy cheap, buy twice. Mm. And I think we probably created a bit of, of a monster with Ryanair. And if you think back to when I started to fly to London first, um, late 80s, it could cost you 250 quid with Aer Lingus to fly to London return. We were used to trying to spend a lot of money to escape from this country. And when Ryanair started doing the cheaper flights, uh, we didn't realise then how, how good we had it, but it came at a price. And the price being... Cutbacks in staff, cutbacks in quality, cutbacks in in pay, uh, not allowing them to be in unions, etc. Because they didn't want to improve yeah. their lot, so we're now, I think, paying the price really for that. Because all of a sudden, yeah, uh, now I worked with Ryanair years ago. I was there in 1989-1990. People don't realise that there was actually uh, business class. There was proper service. It's a long way since then. <laughs> it's a long way since it had business class. And uh, it, yeah, it was supposedly a proper airline, then went down the cheap route. And yes, there have been times where it tried to pick itself back up again. But let's be honest, it's a cheap airline. And I think people are always going to be willing to take the risk to, uh, to get a cheaper flight, uh, even though they all know that uh, their airport and where they actually want to be could be in the next time zone. Mm. The flights are still full. There's still a 4% bump. There's what, up 13 million flights this year. People take the risk and I'm sorry for those who are who are going to get stuck and everything, but the seats aren't empty. Yeah. The flights are all full. You pay, you pay your money and you take your choice. I mean, my own recent Ryanair story, and everybody says they always have one, is that I was flying to Budapest and I got left off in Vienna. 
which apparently Ryanair doesn't fly to. They, 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 they buzzed everybody on the plane saying, we're not landing in Budapest because Budapest is now closed. So we're going to land in Bratislava. And so we're like, okay, we're in Bratislava. That's not too far out right from Budapest. And then a few minutes later, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Vienna. So, um, I mean, if you're not landing in the wrong, if you're not right, landing in the right country, there's a little bit of an issue there. I mean, Richie, what's, what is your take? Do you think that they've been damaged by this at all? Uh, by the strikes? Yeah. Uh, well, I think, I mean, the most important thing for them is it's a threat to their entire... Uh, model and if they if they don't get the the pilots to back down uh, on their demands and agree to demands that suit them, there could potentially be a, a threat to the entire low fare low, low fares model. I mean, the two sides seem so far apart. I was listening to the radio today and it reminded you like of a, of, a, of a, a kind of a teenage argument between two people. One was saying, "But you said this and you said the other," and they are just very far. I, I think they're going to try and get a mediator. Uh, in at this point because Ryanair is saying you have to remove the threat of strikes then we'll have talks and the guys are saying we're not removing the threat of strikes uh, and Ryanair at this stage are posting letters up on the internet that they say prove X, Y and Z and the other guys are saying why are you looking at this so it's a bit of a mess in in general for myself when it comes to Ryanair I do try and avoid flying Ryanair I fly a lot to London and I will go Aer Lingus uh, to Gatwick yeah. if I can and get a train in but the I, I have experience of having an Aer Lingus or another rival airline ticket in, in my pocket and walking past the Ryanair desk and watching people queuing up and then you get to the, the desk of that you're flying to and, you know, there's no queue and you can get through and you can get out the other side. I, had a, I went to a wedding in Poland. I flew Ryanair because it was the cheapest. Mm. And it's like, I, you know, like I, I, if they are the cheapest, I, I probably might go with them. And in this case, I went to Poland, got back to the airport, had to queue for about two hours to drop in a bag. And I mean... You know, I was at a wedding for a few days, I needed a bag, and then you're just there queuing. It's just a horrible experience. And, like, flying is bad enough, and they do, they, you know, they don't really worry about, about you in that sense. No. And I've had experiences with other rival airlines, you know, rocking up in the airport, having been delayed or whatever, and they go all out to look after you. And, uh, you know, I, I, as a customer, like, if someone does that for me, I, I'll remember that and, and try and... Trying yeah, to bring it, back. it does go a long way. Good customer service does matter, doesn't it? it Still in this it day does. and age. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not, I, like I know sometimes cost is the key factor for people. You're going holidays, you're bringing kids, and you know it all adds up. But just if something goes wrong, my instinct would be there are other airlines you can trust more to help you if something goes wrong. And a lot of stuff goes wrong when it comes to airline flights, oh, as we're seeing it. now. Bill, what's your take? I mean, have you had any holiday disasters over the years? Oh yeah, but uh, the basic principle is when something is cheap, that doesn't mean that you disrespect the customer. Mm. Like, just because you go to Lidl and Aldi doesn't mean that somebody is going to treat you badly and that you're going to be badly served by the staff. You're not. You're going to be treated really well. But with Ryanair, that principle doesn't seem to have carried over. And because they're flying cheap, they seem to have nothing but contempt. And I was flying with them last summer because I had to. Uh, I would go out of my way not to normally, but because I needed They'll to be. Say at a now s- that they have you know millions and millions of, pa- of passengers, and that they're Europe's most popular airline for a reason. That they that they generally do get you to where you're going to go. You know, are they using the American uh, Republican Party sort of method of <laughs> finding out what the truth is? Yeah. <laughs> ha, ha. Uh, no, but we were in uh, Barcelona. Uh, we went over for a concert that we had to get to, and coming back. They decided uh, at the last minute to change the gate. That's all very well. But people were queuing up after their holidays with small children getting ready at the gate to board the flight home. So once they had been there and the staff on the ground were saying, get in line, get in line. And I thought, my God, you're a bit aggressive. The next thing over the tannoy, it said, 
the gate has changed. So there was this mad rush, <laughs> like we were refugees, getting across the airport to the other, it was the other far side, and the lineup, and get in line, get in line, and people fighting about, I was in front of you, and you were in front of me, and blah, blah, blah. And they just got that established, and over the Tanoi, the gate is changed back to the original gate, and there's this other matter. And I said, never Not again. That. Yeah. Never again. Just pay for the lounge is what I always say. That's all right for you to say. Do you know what? It just 20 quid in Dublin Airport <laughs> and you get you get free food as, which is better value than you know going up to McDonald's mm. and spending 20 quid anyway. You get your chargers, you get all that sort of stuff. It's totally worth it. Oh, you see, you sound, I, I'm, I'm bitter and I will put my hand up and say bitter because years as a travel writer, I used to get to get, go on a flight and turn left. Yeah. That hasn't happened in a long time. Well, what struck me, as you were saying that, Bill, was I think giving out about Ryanair and giving out about getting cheap flights is a bit like or, or when something goes wrong. Uh, buying a pair of high heels and pennies for two quid and then going back the next day giving out because the heel broke. Mm. You know, it, it is cheap. It's well, not yeah. cheap and cheerful, but it is cheap. And you have to put up with the bumps in the road, yeah. I think. I just don't fly them. Yeah. All right. Well, that is your choice. <laughs> but it was Ladies' Day yesterday over in Ballybrit at the Galway races. And it can be quite a profitable day uh, if you're picked as the lucky winner. This year's winner was mum of two, Charlene Byers, 34 years of age, from Newry in County Down. Never been to the races before. She won a diamond and pearl pendant worth €6,000, a €2,000 cash prize, and a romantic trip to two for, uh, in Paris, along with flights, accommodation, and a luxury stay at the G Hotel in Galway. Ladies' Day as a concept. Alison, when they put it like that, it's worthwhile, isn't it? Absolutely worthwhile. <laughs> I mean, when I saw this might be coming up and, oh my God, somebody might give out about Ladies' Day and all that kind of stuff, leave the poor, lovely ladies alone. But is it not out of date? Is it not as a concept? You know, it's had its day and, you know, that well, it, we all should be moving on from It looks this. like a photo op because yesterday's papers looked more like the lovely uh, presidential candidates uh, competition more than the lovely ladies. Mm. But look, what my objection to it is, it's not the fact that it's sexist or anything. I think it's fine. Hundreds of people, thousands of women still want to do it, so nobody's forcing them to do it. What I do object to is the fact that it's gone mental. The prizes are gone crazy. You've got your professional uh, best-dressed ladies who go around the country and just scoop up all the prizes. Professional. They do this as a living. Absolutely. Professional BDLs. Let's call them what what they are. (laughs) And they're going around and they're scooping up the prizes, sometimes almost sponsored by boutiques. (laughs) Well, do you know what? Probably more than the horses on the field. There's no question. That woman who won had 1,200 hats. Do you not think it's mutton dressed up as lamb? Do you not? Not at all. That's like like almost talking age limits. It's not all across the board. No, I don't do Twitter. That's almost as if there must be lambs out there as well no. it's across the board but serious some people are taking it too seriously and what might have started out as quite a nice little pastime is now cutthroat but Richie if it is something where you're getting this level of price and you can go to a load of these different festivals whether it's Leopard Sound Punta Town wherever else you're going to as well as Galway you know I mean it's worth entering and putting your you know your, your the whole weight of your your resources behind this and trying to scoop this prize and, and beat everybody else to the title. Yeah, fair play. I didn't realise it was it was taken uh, so seriously. I th- I thought like you just uh, you 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 rock up in your in your in your Sunday best and see how it goes from there. But if if people are taking it professionally, um, it's very interesting to hear. For me, I mean, it's not offensive in, in any way, and it is more or less a fashion uh, mm. competition, isn't it? I mean, they look at the, the clothes in, in in all the winning. Uh, as the editor of a paper that regularly puts these things on the front page, I would be a total hypocrite to kind of stand over. <laughs> the other thing. 
thing I suppose as well is like I was on before here and Ivan gave me Ivan thought I I I was a bit PC to be saying that you know the grid girls in Formula One yeah and that 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 was good that they were being stopped because they basically stand there with an umbrella held over the male racing car driver in a competition where nearly every team is dominated by men and dominated by but in horse racing like you know. There has, I know there's a lot of uh, female trainers, there's actually female jockeys and stuff. There does seem to be a bit of gender equality yeah. going on in the bigger scene. So for me, then, it, it is less offensive. Whenever I go to the races, I, I, I sometimes go on kind of corporate stuff, but I've, I've never actually gone and had the lunch or anything. For me, the actual horses themselves are the fascination to, to watch and to see. Not and to the watch prawn the sandwiches, no? No, 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 no. <laughs> so I just be concentrating on the, on the horses, I think. But what, one of the things which has struck me about looking at Galway and it's whatever, it's the Limerick races as well or whatever else, is the behaviour at it. Is that a load of students in particular go down to it and they get tanked up first. <laughs> for a day at the races so they're all dressed like Conor McGregor or like the Peaky Blinders and they go down there having pucked in like six Dutch gold into them and then they're hanging around and just shouting and just going totally balubas Bill Hughes has has the races lost its prestige at this point you see this kind of thing started about 25 years ago at Ascot and you'd see all over the sun and the star and the moon whatever the papers were (laughs) uh, you'd see pictures of women rear-ended with drink you know lying on the ground with their frocks yeah. up around their necks and all this kind of stuff and that seems to have crossed over here and this this I can't understand it because my mother had a dress shop and I grew up where my mother would want every woman in the town to look amazing and my mother right now would be standing behind me with a wooden spoon beating me across the head saying it was great for business it was great for business because yeah. we only lived like 10 miles from the current But there's your man who is um, the restaurant uh, guy in Galway I can't remember the name of the restaurant and he's traditionally kept the place closed over the past number of yeah, Galway races yeah. JP, JP McMahon He's open this year though he said look it I'm not going to fight it anymore yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you've tons of people wanting to eat. <laughs> yeah, but you had you had <laughs> Conor McGregor Gregor standing on the bonnet of a Rolls Royce or a Bentley. That was at Ascot. At, at, yeah, and you had that kind of yob uh, mentality, and it, th- then you see. The clothing ah, that the yeah, guys are wearing Bill, as that well. That makes it's for a great viewing, though. Those, those uh, photographs of all the, the dolly birds with the stripper yeah. shoes trying to walk That's across the grass. It's for, great for, for <laughs> All right, all right. We'll have to take a short break now to gather our thoughts. Stay with us, though. We'll be back with more analysis of News of the Week. We'll be back in one moment. Welcome back to the final furlong here on the hard shoulder. Richard in for Ivan today. Uh, I'm joined, as of course, with, by Richie Oakley, editor of the Ireland edition of The Times, Alison Cummins, journalist and communications consultant, and Bill Hughes of Mind the Gap Productions. Now, today we were. this story was dropped on my desk. Jilly Cooper saying that the Me Too movement has left men and women in the modern age unable to flirt with each other. I think that she loves to be wolf-whistled. Alison... How outdated is Jilly Cooper or does she have a point? Glad you asked me that, cutie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. It's probably an old chestnut. And yes, it's probably being brought to the, more to the fore with the little hashtag me too thing. But flirting is part of human nature. I think mm. without flirting, there would be no human race. We're not going to get on with it. Uh, it's like asking humans not to breathe. And I think that personally, I never minded a little bit of a wolf whistle and a little bit of a uh, of attention. Where the problem is is 
drawing the line. It's the line. Knowing where that line is. And I find that a restraining order usually probably. That's where you do that. Mind. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bill Hughes, where do you take off on this? I mean, like there's a difference between flirting and crossing the line, isn't there? Yeah. And in the gay world, which I inhabit, uh, <laughs> uh, flirting is, is terrific as long as... Um, you are involved in a relationship that is mature enough to understand that flirting is flirting and mm-hmm. that it's not a threat. Right. Uh, because flirting from within a relationship can be perceived as a threat by people who are insecure in that relationship. And th- therefore, that is when the fireworks start. Now, I know that Jilly Cooper would make a comment like this because I've met her on a number of occasions and I've even, she cooked me lunch once in her house in the Cotswolds when Mm. she was promoting a book and I was doing a book show and she had us around the whole crew and she flirted with the cameraman, she flirted with the sound man. When I told her I was gay, she stopped flirting with me, which was great, but (laughs) she was flirting with her own husband at the table and then a few months later discovered that he was having an affair. And it devastated her and wow. that, that changed her life in, in many ways. But Jilly Cooper represents that kind of tally-ho woman who just thought it was really, everything was jolly hockey sticks and every guy yeah. was fair game and it was all a big laugh and nobody would get hurt until she got hurt herself. Uh. And I think when she got hurt herself, she realised, ooh, now, this was she driven into the arms of, a, of another man? Because if you read into that interview mm. a little bit further, she's mm. suggesting that men are so terrified of women nowadays that they're being uh, driven into the arms of, of, of other men to have uh, relationships there, which I find is preposterous. That is Absolute craziness. That's why I earned too much a, money a, and a, I'm going a gay to friend of hers who said that he had come across a lot of married men on, on, on gay dating apps was what she was, was, what she was referring to, yeah. to there. That's always been the thing, though. But, but, but Richie, what do you make of her general point? I mean, she, let's have a, a <coughs> read of some of her quotes. She said, men on the whole have been very nice to me. I love being wolf-whistled. I know men shouldn't jump on everybody, but I do think men have stronger libidos than women I mean there's a difference though I mean, there's a big there's a separation here between yeah. what she's, she's talking about she's having mischief in, in an interview and you know she's kind of referring back to her books and this is kind of and it's kind of all as you said the jolly hockey sticks talk the Me Too campaign though was mm. about uh, people using um, demands for sex and using um, you know you know bad behaviour yes, from, from, from yeah. positions of power with yeah. people who are not in as powerful a position so you do this with me you get an acting part in one of my big massive yeah. films or, or whatever whatever it is or in the case of that's called coercion yeah and or in other cases it was a case of very very wealthy men uh, like you know taking advantage of people who would you know see them as as, as, as stars um, and that's that's the issue. So, like, she's kind of talking about something separate. Her description of what the Me Too movement is yeah. isn't quite. I think it, it, it's it's poor to sort of lump that in and trying to use you know this idea. Like, you're not equating the sim- the, the two things. No, I mean, it's saying not. that it's the, oh, you wouldn't know what to say to a woman these days is not true. I mean, it's you know how to act. I know yeah. a lot of men are, don't know where, where that line is. And yeah, that, that is, is the, the problem case. because we were mentioning office etiquette earlier on, and I think there is no place for serious romances in the office, not public ones. I don't think an office is a place for, and that's where that line 
really needs to be crystal clear. Mm. Flirting is lovely. Flirt with men, flirt with women, flirt with the cleaning lady, flirt. It, it is a, just a little lift that will make somebody feel a little bit yeah. better. But if it's unwanted, if oh. it's unnecessary, if it crosses that line, then you really have to know. Jilly Cooper is completely outdated and she represents the 60s. That's when she was around in the swinging 60s and that's when she was in her heyday. And she seems to think that the world has moved but not in in that direction. And she completely misunderstands me too. And she misunderstands yeah. uh, all sexuality these days. So you wouldn't be taking your lead from the woman who has written Riders. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Riders. joy I felt in my heart of being able to jump in there was, and segue like that. something beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> you said I wasn't Alan Partridge. Yeah. <laughs> Not even slightly. Well, this week, Dr. Paul Corcoran, chairperson of the Dublin Cycling Campaign, campaign says there's an issue with cyclists breaking lights. It's one of the main components we hear about. This is, of course, based on the news with cyclists being hit with more fines uh, than ever before uh, as Gardaí have doubled um, basically the crackdown, the cra- crackdown, I should say, on cyclists and spot fines, breaking red lights, all this sort of cycling behaviour. And Richie Oakley, as our designated cyclist and person, we <laughs> shall all... If you understand if you understand what the media does and what people are, the media is accused of, we're all just going to gang up and beat you up here. I mean, this idea that cyclist bashing is something that the media just routinely engages in. Defend your people here. Okay, okay. For, for, first of all... Uh, we need more more cycling, right? Yes. There's no more debate about that. It, it reduces emissions, reduces traffic, makes people happier, makes people healthier, and it makes better better cities. Copenhagen have proven this. Holland have, have proven this. Yep. Okay, so we do need more um, cyclists. That's the first thing. Okay, if you one day saw a cyclist break a red light or 10 cyclists or 15 cyclists breaking a red light, that is not an argument against bringing in better infrastructure and facilities for all cyclists. Because mm. there is okay. a personal hatred which has actually it's evolved unbel- against cyclists. As someone on, out in the road, it is unbelievable. I mean, it is like as if people are just annoyed that you happen to exist and have got up in the morning and decided not to drive your car into work and instead... And you hear these nonsense arguments now. They should be paying motor tax when we all pay tax. They should have a licence plate, which would mean you, you basically would have five-year-old kids going out in their tricycle with a licence plate and, 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 and insurance. It has gone crazy and the debate needs to take a, a step back, right? And cyclists can help. So if cyclists were to break red lights less, we probably would reduce down the ability for people to throw that back in our face every mm. time. But the equivalent is to say, well, motorists uh, use their phones when they're driving, so therefore we shouldn't build them any motorways. It, do, it, it You know, it's a non-sequitur. So the other thing is, is we need to look at the way red lights are designed now if you're trying to encourage more cyclists in your city and you don't have a lot of infrastructure for them one of the key things you can do is give them a chance not to get killed by buses, trucks or cars off the lights so if you're a, a cyclist and you know, you're know you trying to get away from the lights uh, the last thing you want is a bus or a car coming up behind you really quickly uh, at speed so in other cities what they do is they have filter lights the bikes go first mm pause a few minutes and then the cars come after them. The cyclist is up out of the way and then in other cities where there's lots of cyclists, the cars have no choice because there's about 60 cyclists in front of them at the start of the lights and I had an experiment with this this week. I cycled down the quays in a group of 40 people. Right. Half of them broke the red lights, half of us didn't. I don't because I go on radio talking about cycling and if I did and someone <laughs> saw spotted. me, yeah. I'd be lambasted, right. Okay, so 
the, as this group of 40 cyclists came down, cars just had to stay back from us because we were such a presence on the road. And I think we are slowly getting to that stage um, in in Dublin in particular and hopefully in, in, in other cities. There's 12,000 people commuting by bike into the city and every single motorist should thank every 12,000 of them because each one of them is one less car on the road blocking them up. And eventually we can get to a state where People who choose to cycle can cycle. They can get into work on time and everything. And everyone else who needs to drive, the people who need to drive, can drive in less congestion. Mm. Alison, what's your take on this? I mean, have you spotted many, you know, bad instances of cyclist behaviour gone mad? Well, I feel if cyclists want to be taken seriously as a vehicle on the road, that they need to abide by the same rules of the road that motorists have to. And when I'm driving, I do tend to feel like it is motorists versus, versus cyclists. It's almost like it's a, mm. it's a constant road war. I'm afraid of cyclists out on the road because I get this feeling of absolute anger towards us that they're forever trying to bull their way out and that they will break lights and that I have to be watching constantly to see what a cyclist would do because at least with the other motorists on the road I know what they're supposed to do if they break the rules. It's an something's quite unusual. Yeah, okay. But there are renegade cyclists that are a problem. And the thing is, there are renegade motorists too. That is the thing. But 90% of cyclists are well-behaved. 90%. There is a 10% gap. I will agree with you. people who behave appallingly. And I will tell you, I had an accident a few years ago and I was impaired for a while, my movement, and I was on a stick. And crossing the road on a stick when cyclists... Now, I was crossing where my office is, there is a cycle path. Uh, that cycle path is for cyclists to share. Nobody said it was a racing path. Nobody said that cyclists were now trying to finish the Tour de France. They were just trying to get to their work or whatever. But there's always one Egypt who comes out. And one day I was crossing and I could see him in the distance he was coming, but I knew I had a perfect amount of time to get up. I didn't realise how fast he was going. Mm. And he just started to scream, move, move, move. And I couldn't. My balance was gone and I, I, I almost collapsed. I got such a fright. I thought he was going to whack me and put me back in the hospital. But yeah. that's not... And there will again, always again, be a war. Increasing numbers of cyclists will, will end that problem. If you look at like Copenhagen and, uh, and, and Amsterdam and, and aspects of, of those cities are comparable to Ireland, there are so many cyclists that you can't like come down the road like in a Tour de France because mm. there's a cyclist in front of So everyone just meanders along. And in Copenhagen in particular, if you do 20 kilometres, a steady 20 kilometres pace, you get green lights all the way home uh, from, from the city centre out. In terms of, of motorists saying, you know, cyclists are, are unpredictable, they're different. The the best thing you can do when you when you approach a cyclist as a motorist, and I'm a motorist as well as a cyclist, as most it, cyclists tend to yes, be, actually, yeah, is give them both space and time. A lot of the time, the road conditions they're dealing with are, are unpredictable. A lot of the time, they're in awkward positions. So, for example, you should try taking a right hand turn as a cyclist in mm-hmm. Ireland. It's next to impossible. I worry though sometimes when I see a lot of cyclists when they do break red lights, and um, because I see a lot of them doing it with earphones in, in yeah. their ears and they're doing it and I just think that is just absolute insanity yeah I don't it's know why you cut off you're flicking senses. off a junction and you're cutting off like your, 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 your hearing which is the best way of knowing when yeah. something's coming from behind you and you're flinging yeah. out into the road. Like I, I will. Staff. Like if I see, like I, I mean, I did it recently. There's a cyclist and he broke every uh, every red light coming down the keys. And I, I, I stopped him. I, I said, look, you know, why are you doing that? You're putting yourself at risk. You're putting others at risk. And he just said, like, you know, it's it's my body. I can do what I like. But I mean, that's just a nonsense. Everyone needs to kind of. Yeah. We all need to be in in this 
to, together, as it were. And it is sad that the debate isn't about, you know, what should we be doing to improve cyclists? It's sad that the debate is, you know, I once saw a cyclist break red yeah. light. I once saw a motorist on, on a mobile phone while driving. Like we can, we can, we can get up past should that. But there are idiots in, in cars and on bicycles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But the, the cyclist will always come out worse. Yeah, but yeah. should it be illegal for a cyclist to cycle hands free? Oh, completely. Well, they shouldn't do it. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just common yeah. sense. Is what it yeah, is. but yeah. you see it more and more at, with the music blaring, the headphones on mm. and hands free. And I'm like going, you don't stand a chance, buddy. Well, they do need, there needs to be certain hard and fast laws. As I said, if they want to be taken seriously as commuters and get the infrastructure and expect everybody to pay for this in- infrastructure, they need to start behaving like motor- motorists. Okay, well, we'll move on now to our final issue of the day. Have a quick listen to this. Megan told me first, and uh, uh, at that time, uh, uh, then a few times after that, Harry, Harry got on the phone with Megan. They called me together, and uh, Harry asked for her hand over the phone. And I said, uh, you're a gentleman. Uh, promise me you'll never raise your hand against my daughter. And, of course, I give you my permission. I really do feel sorry for Meghan Markle that, yeah, Thomas Markle, that is her father there, obviously speaking about his daughter Meghan and royal aides are plotting apparently to rein in Thomas Markle's public outburst uh, against, or about, I should say, uh, his daughter Meghan. I feel very sorry for her every time he opens his mouth. It's really... Do you feel sorry for him as well? Though? I, mean, I do a little bit. I think that he's being exploited, isn't he? I mean, what is your take on that, Richie? I mean, he clearly is being... Well, I mean, like he, 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 he you know... He suddenly found himself, you know, at, uh, in this huge media in, in glare uh, and interest, and then he he courted, courted it himself by setting up paparazzi photographs, and then he's gone on to continue that by giving a series of interviews in which he said some unadvisable things yeah. and referenced Princess Diana, said that Prince Harry said things to him about Brexit, which is just daft beyond. You know, anything and else. I mean, yeah. Um, whereas, whereas her her mother, you know, attended the wedding mm. and then. We haven't heard boo from her um, ever since. I'm not saying that you know she she should say nothing, but you know it's it's he's 74. He's not hand, handling um, this 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 well, you know, and he, he must be, must find it difficult in, in the spotlight. But the sadder thing behind it is he he's his relationship with his daughter is is now suffering, and you know if there's grandkids or whatever, he might not get to see those. So. I think if they could get him to step back from the interviews or if mm. he, you know, he, he seems to want to reconcile with her. And if he really does, he's got to have to step back from he's doing himself. the interviews and maybe the save, world of damage, save really, the yeah. outburst for the Christmas dinner at some palace or whatever, you know. <laughs> but the question we're asking here, uh, Alison Cummins, is that are we responsible for our family's stupid behaviour? And should we be judged by, you know, our family members and what they do? Because it's really stupid conduct here from Thomas Markle. He is being exploited, I feel, by the UK media. But... Should we judge ourselves? What on you our mean, like pool? you can you can pick your friends but not your relatives? Yeah. Like every single person, every family is either a black sheep or somebody that they don't like. I don't get on with. I fear I'm probably the one in my family. <laughs> but uh, we, we shouldn't. We can't really judge people by their the rest of their family. I mean, the likes of uh, Thomas Markle making these uh, comments in, in interviews. If there wasn't a demand, if people weren't wanting to hear it, mm. if there was nobody with the microphone in front of him inviting him on, then he wouldn't be, we wouldn't be hearing these comments. So I don't, look, no, we can't. We cannot blame um, every, uh, you know, uh, say you've got an embarrassing father and mother. We've got the, the the managers, I think, was it the likes of Britney Spears and and all of those? They had 
parents who exploited them. You've got to separate the person mm. who's actually making the achievement themselves and try and let them shine. And, and you can't, I don't think there's much point in, in shutting them up and cutting them out. Just let it be and, let, and judge the person who has achieved something. And let's let the other person. The royal family. Well, by yeah, the way, what's your take? Yeah, because yeah, the, the people there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the Duke uh, of Edinburgh, right? You know, uh, do you all have slitty eyes like that? And the racist <laughs> things over the years yeah. that he has said yeah. that have just been so insulting. Cultural observations. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cultural, <laughs> that, you know, the royal though. family themselves. Should the Queen must be laughing because she's like going, "Oh, another one. That's all. It's yeah. just another one." We well, have enough head cases in this family. Yeah. Why did we have to and have this one? Already had Fergie in their ranks herself, and and then look what she did, you know. So they're used to being embarrassed. But by whose standards are these people embarrassing? Yeah, as you mentioned yourself, the royal family's got mm. a, yeah. a huge wardrobe full oh, of yeah. skeletons, a, a closet full. <laughs> yeah. 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 Unless there's at least one scene, like you're not legally married, like yeah. there has to be one major outburster, total scene, doesn't yeah. there? He gets on. So I think I think generally though, most people are just sympathetic towards Meghan Markle and and Prince Harry because of this. They're not like. Jesus, state of your, your one's dad, like, you know, I don't think people are that harsh on her, are they? No, definitely not. I think she's one of these people who has been accepted and embraced and they find her lovely and charming and warm, etc., etc. I don't know if anybody's sitting there going, well, you know, we did tell you, you're married outside mm. the fold. What did you expect? It's unbecoming of, of royalty, this sort of conduct, is it, Richie Oakley? I, I think a bit of time will, will sort it all out. Uh, time and, and no more no more interviews, I, I think, would be the... It's a good thing. You're not going to be in the Irish Times any day now. Final word to you, Bill Hughes. I'm, I'm amazed that more hasn't been made of the half-sister, the half-brother. Like, there's a whole ca- cast of characters there for Meghan Markle. But on the sa- by the same token, there's a whole cast of characters, uh, like, for example, when they did that expose recently on the Queen Mother's family. Mm. And, you know, how many of them were in asylums and all that, you know. So, so it's right across the board. For me, you can never ever be responsible for the goings-on of your family. I think so say all of us. That's all we have time for uh, from our panel today. I'd like to thank all of our panellists. Richie Oakley, editor of the Ireland edition of The Times, Alison Cummin, journalist and communications consultant, and Bill Hughes of Mind the Gaps Productions. That is our lot from Over the Hard Shoulder this week. My thanks to the production team. Ashley Moore, John O'Donovan, Roisin Davies, Kira Courtney and Elaine Power. Off the Ball is up next. I'll be back on Monday with The Hard Shoulder from 4 o'clock, so have a great weekend. Thank you.